Chapter six part three of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section sixteen. They made their way back to the street through a long, low room full of men drinking at little tables. Heavy clouds of smoke hung and moved in the air and mingled with the steady odor of German food, Braten, onion and butter sodden, beer and rich sour bread. A tinkling melody supported by rhythmic time-marking bass notes that seemed to thump the wooden floor came from a large glass-framed musical box. The dark rafters ran low just above them. Faces glanced towards them as they all filed avertedly through the room. There were two or three guttural greetings. Morgan, meine Damen. A large limber woman met them in the front room with their bill and stood talking to Fräulein as the girl straggled out into the sunshine. She was wearing a neat, short-skirted crimson and brown check dress and a large blue apron, and her haggard face was lit with radiantly kind, strong, dark eyes. Miriam envied her. She would like to pour out beer for those simple men and dispense their food, quietly and busily. No need to speak to them or be clever. They would like her care and would understand. Mina Dahmen heard her. She was not Dama. Was Fräulein? Elsa? Millie was. Millie would condescend to these men without feeling uncomfortable. She could see Millie at village teas. The girls looked very small as they stood in groups about the roadway. Their clothes, their funny confidence being so sure of themselves. What was it? What were they so sure of? There was nothing. And she was afraid of them all, even of Minna and Emma sometimes. They trailed, Minna once more safely at her side, slowly on through the streets of the close-built, peaked and gabled, carved and cobbled town. It came nearer to her than Barnes, nearer even, than the old first house she had kissed the morning they came away, the flower-filled garden, the river, the woods. They turned aside and up a little mounting street and filed into a churchyard. Fräulein tried and opened the great carved doorway of the church. Incense. They were going into a Roman Catholic church. How easy it was, just to walk in, why had one never done it before? There was one at Roehampton, but it would be different in England. Pas convenable, she heard Mademoiselle say just behind her. Non, je connais ces gens-là. Je vous promets. Vraiment, j'en ai peur. Elsa responded with excited inquiries. They all trooped quietly in, and the great doors closed behind them. Vraiment, j'ai peur whispered Mademoiselle. Miriam saw a point of red light shining like a ruby far ahead in the gloom. She went round the church with Fräulein Pfaff and Nina, and was shown stations and chapels, altars hung with offerings, a dusty tinsel-decked, gaily-painted Madonna, an alcove railed off and fitted with an iron chandelier furnished with spikes filled halfway up its height by a solid mass of waxen drippings. 
banners and paintings and artificial flowers, rich dark carvings. She looked at everything and spoke once or twice. This is the first time I have seen a Roman Catholic church, she said, and how superstitious when they came upon crutches and staves hanging behind a reredos and all the time she breathed the incense and felt the dimness around her and going up and up and brooding high up presently they were joined by a priest he took them into a little room unlocking a heavy door which clanged to after them opening out behind one of the chapels one side of the room was lined with an oaken cupboard Miriam escaped Mademoiselle's neighborhood and got into an angle between the frosted window and the plaster wall. The air was still and musty. The floor was of stone, the ceiling low and white. There was nothing in the room but the oaken cupboard. The priest was showing a cross so crusted with jewels that the mounting was invisible. Miriam saw it as he lifted it from its wrappings in the cupboard. It seemed familiar to her. She did not wish to see it more closely, to touch it. She stood as thing after thing was taken from the cupboard, waiting in her corner for the moment when they must leave. Now and again she stepped forward and appeared to look, smiled and murmured. Faint sounds from the town came up now and again. The minutes were passing. Soon they must go. She wanted to stay more than she had ever wanted anything in her life she wanted to stay in this little musty room behind the quiet dim church in this little town section seventeen at sunset they stood on a hill outside the town and looked across at it lying up its own hillside its buildings peaking against the sky they counted the rich green copper cupolas and sighed and exulted over the whole picture the colored sky, the colored town, the shimmering of the trees. Making their way along the outskirts of the town towards the station in the fading light, they met a little troop of men and women coming quietly along the roadway. They were all dressed in black. They looked at the girls with strange mild eyes and filled Miriam with fear. Presently the girls crossed a little high bridge over a stream and from the crest of the bridge beyond a high-walled garden a terraced building came into sight. It was dotted with women dressed in black. One of the figures rose and waved a handkerchief. Wave, children, said Fräulein's trembling voice. Wave! And the girls collected in a little group on the crest of the bridge and waved with raised arms. Ghastly, isn't it? said Gertrude glancing at Miriam as they moved on. Miriam was cold with apprehension. Are they mad? she whispered. Section 18 For a week the whole of the housework and cooking was done by the girls under the superintendence of Gertrude, who seemed to be all over the house acting as forewoman to little gangs of workers. Miriam took but a small part in the work, Minna was paying long visits to the aurist every day, but she shared the depleted table and knew that the whole school was taking part in weathering the storm of Fräulein's ill-humor that had broken first upon Anna. 
she once caught a glimpse of gertrude flushed and downcast confronting fräulein's reproachful voice upon the stairs and one day in the basement she heard ulrica tearfully refuse to clean her own boots and saw fräulein stand before her bowing and smiling and with the girls gathered round herself brush and polish the slender boots she was glad to get away with minna her blouses came at the beginning of the week she carried them upstairs her hands took them incredulously from their wrappages the squashed strawberry lay at the top soft warm clear matter rose covered with a black arabesque of tiny leaves and tendrils it was compactly folded showing only its turned-down collar shoulders and breast she laid it on her bed side by side with its buff companion and shook out the underlying skirt how sweet of them to send her the things she felt tears in her eyes as she stood at her small looking-glass with the skirt against her body and the blouses held in turn above it they both went perfectly with the light skirt she unfolded them and shook them out and held them up at arm's length by the shoulder seams her heart sank they were not in the least like anything she had ever worn they had no shape they were square and the sleeves were like bags she turned them about and remembered the shapeliness of the stockinette jerseys smocked and small and clinging that she had worn at school if these were blouses then she would never be able to wear blouses they're so floundery she said frowning at them she tried on the rose-coloured one it startled her with its brightness it's no good it's no good she said as her hands fumbled for the fastenings there was a hook at the neck that was all frightful she fastened it and the collar set in a soft roll but came down in front to the base of her neck the rest of the blouse stuck out all round her it's got no cut they couldn't have looked at it she turned helplessly about using her hand-glass frowning and despairing presently she saw harriet's quizzical eyes and laughed woefully tweaking at the outstanding margin of the material it's all very well she murmured angrily but it's all i've got she wished sarah were there sarah would do something alter it or something she heard her encouraging voice saying you haven't half got it on yet it'll be all right she unfastened her black skirt crammed the flapping margin within its band and put on the beaded black stuff belt the blouse bulged back and front shapelessly and seemed to be one with the shapeless sleeves which ended in hard loose bands riding untrimmed about her wrists with the movements of her hands it's like a night-dress she said wrathfully and dragged the fullnesses down all round under her skirt it looked better so in front but as she turned with raised hand-glass it came riding up at the side and back with the movement of her arm section nineteen minna was calling to her from the stairs she went on to the landing to answer her and found her on the top flight dressed to go out ach she whispered as miriam drew back 
jetzt mag ich sie leiden now i like you she ran back to her room there was no time to change she fixed a brooch in the collar to make it come a little higher at the join going downstairs she saw pastor lahmann hanging up his hat in the hall his childish eyes came up as her step sounded on the lower flight miriam was amazed to see him standing there as though nothing had happened she did not know that she was smiling at him until his face lit up with an answering smile bonjour mademoiselle miriam did not answer and he disappeared into the saal she went on downstairs listening to his voice repeating his words over and over in her mind jimmy was sweeping the basement floor with a duster tied round her hair hello mother bunch she laughed it is weird isn't it not a bit the kind i meant to have the blouse is all right my dear but it's all round your ears and you've got all the fullness in the wrong place there bless the woman you've got no drawstring and you must pin it at the back and haven't you got a proper leather belt section twenty mina and miriam ambled gently along together miriam had discarded her little fur pelerine and her double-breasted jacket bulged loosely over the thin fabric of her blouse she breathed in the leaf-scented air and felt it playing over her breast and neck she drew deep breaths as they went slowly along under the waldstrasse lime-trees and looked up again and again at the leaves brilliant opaque green against white plaster with sharp black shadows behind them or brilliant transparent green on the hard blue sky she felt that the scent of them must be visible every breath she drew was like a long yawning sigh she felt the easy expansion of her body under the heavy jacket perhaps i won't have any more fitted bodices she mused and was back for a moment in the stale little sitting-room of the barn's dressmaker she remembered deeply breathing in the odor of fabrics and dust and dankness and cracking her newly fitted lining at the pinholes and saying it is too tight there crack crack i can't go like that but you never want to go like that my dear child old miss ottridge had laughed readjusting the pins just breathe in your ordinary way there see that's right perhaps lilla's mother was right about blouses perhaps they were slummocky she remembered phrases she had heard about people's figures falling abroad the middle-aged sprawl that would come early to her as she was so old and worried perhaps that was why one had to wear boned bodices and never breathe in gulps of air like this it was as if all the worry were being taken out of her temples she felt her eyes grow strong and clear a coolness flowed through her obstructed only where she felt the heavy pad of hair pinned to the back of her head the line of her hat the hot line of compression round her waist and the confinement of her inflexible boots they were approaching the georgstrasse with its long vistaed width 
and its shops and cafés and pedestrians. An officer in pale blue Prussian uniform passed by flashing a single hard preoccupied glance at each of them in turn. His eyes seemed to Miriam like opaque blue glass. She could not remember such eyes in England. They began to walk more quickly. Miriam listened abstractedly to Mina's anticipations of three days at a friend's house, when she would visit her parents at the end of the week. Minna's parents, her far-away home on the outskirts of a little town, its garden, their little carriage, the spring, the beautiful country seemed unreal, and her efforts to respond and be interested felt like a sort of treachery to her present bliss. Everybody, even docile Minna, always seemed to want to talk about something else. Suddenly she was aware that Minna was asking her whether, if it was decided that she should leave school at the end of the term, she, Miriam, would come and live with her. Miriam beamed incredulously. Minna, crimson-faced, with her eyes on the pavement and hurrying along explained that she was alone at home that she had never made friends her mother always wanted her to make friends but she could not that her parents would be so delighted that she she wanted miriam you you are so different so reasonable i could live with you minna's garden her secure country house, her rich parents, no worries, nothing particular to do, seemed for a moment to Miriam the solution and continuation of all the gay day. There would be the rest of the term, increasing spring and summer, Fräulein divested of all mystery and fear, and then freedom with Minna. She glanced at Minna, the cheerful pink face and the pink bulb of nose came round to her, and in an excited undertone she murmured something about the apothecary. I should love to come, simply love it, said Miriam enthusiastically, feeling that she would not entirely give up the idea yet. She would not shut off the offered refuge. It would be a plan to have in reserve. She had been daunted, as Minna murmured, by a picture of Minna and herself in that remote garden, she receiving confidences about the apothecary, no one else there, the Waldstrasse household blotted out, herself and Minna finding pretexts day after day to visit the chemists in the little town. Section 21 Miriam almost ran home from seeing Minna into the three o'clock train. Dear, beautiful, beautiful Hanover. The sunlight blazed from the rain-sprinkled streets. Everything shone. Bright, confident shops, happy German cafés moved quickly by as she fled along. Sympathetic eyes answered hers. She almost laughed once or twice when she met an eye and thought how funny she must look tearing along with her long thick black jacket bumping against her she would leave it off to-morrow and go out in a blouse and her long black lace scarf she imagined harriet at her side harriet's long scarf and longed 
do the crab walk for a moment or the halfpenny dip hippity hop she did them in her mind she heard the sound of her boot soles tapping the shining pavement as she hurried along she would write a short note to her mother a girl about my own age with very wealthy parents who wants a companion and enclose a note for eve or harriet eve imagine me in pomerania my dear and tell her about the coffee parties and the skating and the sleighing and minna's german christmases she saw minna's departing face leaning from the carriage window its new gay boldness i shall no more when we are at home call you miss henderson when she got back to waldstrasse she found anna's successor newly arrived cleaning the neglected front doorstep her lean yellow face looked a vacant response to miriam's inquiry for fräulein pfaff ist fräulein zu hause she repeated the girl shook her head vaguely how quiet the house seemed the girls after a morning spent in turning out the kitchen for the reception of the new magd were out for a long ramble including schokolade mit schlagsahne until tea-time the empty house spread round her and towered above her as she took off her things in the basement and the schoolroom yawned bright and empty as she reached the upper hall she hesitated by the door there was no sound anywhere she would play on the sol piano i'm not a lehrerin i'm not i'm not she hummed as she collected her music she would bring her songs too i'm going to pom 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 pomerania section twenty two pomerania she hummed swinging herself round the great door into the saal pastor lahmann was standing near one of the windows the rush of her entry carried her to the middle of the room and he met her there smiling quietly she stared easily and comfortably up into his great mild eyes went into them as they remained quietly and gently there receiving her presently he said in a soft low tone you are very happy mademoiselle miriam moved her eyes from his face and gazed out of the window into the little sunlit summer-house the sense of the outline of his shoulders and his comforting black mannishness so near to her brought her almost to tears fiercely she fixed the sunlit summer-house oh i'm not she said not is it possible i think life is perfectly appalling she moved awkwardly to a little chiffonier and put down her music on its marble top he came safely following her and stood near again you do not like the life of the school oh i don't know you are from the country mademoiselle miriam fumbled with her music was she one sees that at once you come from the land miriam glanced at his solid white profile as he stood with hands clasped near her music on the chiffonier she noticed again that strange flatness of the lower part of the face i too am from the land i grew up on a farm 
I love the land and think to return to it, to have my little strip when I am free. When my boys have done their schooling, I shall go back. He turned towards her, and Miriam smiled into the soft brown eyes and tried to think of something to say. My grandfather was a gentleman farmer. Ah, that does not surprise me. But what a very English expression. Is it? Well, it sounds so to us. We Swiss are very democratic. I think I'm a radical. Pastor Lahmann raised his chin and laughed softly. You are a very ambitious young lady. Yes. Pastor Lahmann laughed again. I too am ambitious. I have a good Swiss ambition. Miriam smiled into the mild face. You have a beautiful English proverb which expresses my ambition. Miriam looked eagerly listening into the brown eyes that came round to meet hers, smiling. A little land well tilled, a little wife well willed, are great riches. Miriam seemed to gaze long at a pallid rounded man with smiling eyes. She saw a garden and fields, a firelit interior, a little woman smiling and busy and agreeable, moving quickly about, and Pastor Lahmann presiding. It filled her with fury to be regarded as one of a world of little tame things, to be summoned by little men to be well-willed wives. She must make him see that she did not even recognize such a thing as a well-willed wife. She felt her gaze growing fixed and moved to withdraw it and herself. Why do you wear glasses, mademoiselle? The voice was full of sympathetic wistfulness. I have a severe myopic astigmatism, she announced, gathering up her music and feeling the words as little hammers on the newly seen pallid rounded face. Dear me, I wonder whether the glasses are really necessary. May I look at them? I know something of eye-work. Miriam detached her tightly fitted pince-nez, and having given them up, stood with her music in hand, anxiously watching. Half her vision gone with her glasses, she saw only a dim black-coated knowledge, near at hand, going perhaps to help her. You wear them always? For how long? Poor child, poor child! and you must have passed through all your schooling with those lame, lame eyes. Let me see the eyes. Turn a little to the light. So. Standing near and large, he scrutinized her vague gaze. And sensitive to light, too. You were very, very blonde. Even more blonde than you are now, as a child, mademoiselle. Na, guten tag, Herr Pastor. Fräulein Pfaff's smiling voice sounded from the little door. Pastor Lahmann stepped back. Miriam was pleased at the thought of being grouped with him in the eyes of Fräulein Pfaff. As she took her glasses from his outstretched hand, she felt that Fräulein would recognize that they had established a kind of friendliness. She halted for a moment at the door, adjusting her glasses, amiably uncertain feeling for something to say. Pastor Lahmann was standing in the middle of the room, examining his nails. 
Fräulein at the window was twitching a curtain into place. She turned and drove Miriam from the room with speechless waiting eyes. The sunlight was streaming across the hall. It seemed gay and homelike. Pastor Lahmann had made her forget she was a governess. He had treated her as a girl. Fräulein's eyes had spoiled it. Fräulein was angry about it for some extraordinary reason. End of chapter 6